Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome back to Archery Country Podcast. All you archery gurus, this is Wade Grinegar, Archery Country Podcast Suite 105 today in Rogers as I am accompanied by Jake Schlungen, the owner of Archery Country and 365 Archery. And we have a super special guest as today, if you've already looked on your uh, iPhone or you've looked it up anywhere, you get your podcast. It is Matthews Archery 101. We're going to go over everything and anything. We've got a bunch of questions and we got a super cool dude going to be talking to us. He is a customer service and sales representative over at Matthews Archery, Mr. Chris Mobley. How are you doing, Chris? Pretty good. How are you, fellas? We're doing great. Doing great. Glad to be in the air conditioning. Yeah, I hear you there. It's a scorcher out this week. Holy bucket. I'm not really sure what's going on with the weather in June. But. Uh, it's depressing. I walked around, <laughs> looked at my food plots, and just kind of feel like a failure right now. I know. I uh, went out back yesterday behind the factory, shoot a few arrows, and I think I got in 12, and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm done. I had sweat rolling down my forehead, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's not that's supposed good. to be like this yet. That's a kill shot. That's good. We're tuned. We're yep, ready. yep, exactly. Well, Chris, if you don't mind, give us a – we know you very well, and people that, that are listening to the podcast that deal with Matthews know you, but for some of our listeners, they don't have a clue. So if you wouldn't mind giving us a little background on your archery – past your you know how you got into it how you started with matthews how long you've been with them kind of take the reins and uh we'll giddy up behind you well so um i guess kind of a little bit of background on me i actually started kind of in the same like area where you guys are i actually started working uh retail when i was in college and you know like everybody had this like huge game plan of what i was going to do after college and actually i ended up loving retail and so i actually um sold Matthews products for roughly 10 years before I came to work uh, at Matthews. And I've been working at Matthews for 11 years. So altogether, you know, I've been in the archery industry around it, you know, basically eating, breathing, sleeping Matthews products for the last 21 years. So I would say a little bit of knowledge on our product. I would say you got, you got it probably licked pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Avid hunter, avid bow hunter, target shooter. What are we looking at? Uh, you know, I, I do appreciate a little 3d, you know, action in the summer with the guys and don't get real competitive doing any of the ASA shoots or anything, but you know, at heart really, you know, hunting is my number one passion. I mean, I'm a big whitetail and turkey guy. Um, you know, enjoy going out to the Dakotas, doing a little mule deer hunting. Then on a, you know, my one or two voyages out West doing, you know, elk, but you know, the white tails and mule deer and turkeys are really where my heart lies. It's just, I don't know, something about the, uh, you know, the tree stand or even the spot and stock out in the Dakotas with, with white tails or, or mule deer. Just, I don't know. It's hard for me to get away from it. And I'm originally from Iowa. So chasing big white tails has always been, you know, the number one passion and thing that I strive to be successful at and killed some, some pretty good deer over the years. So I think that probably helps too. <laughs> Absolutely. You go from Iowa to Wisconsin and uh, good bucks all over. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the guys when I came here, they're like, man, are you crazy? You left Iowa? <laughs> they're like, yeah. land of the giants to come up and work here. And like, absolutely. It's, I mean, the deer in Wisconsin are amazing as well. And everybody's obviously heard all the, the dream stories of the giant deer they've killed in Iowa. And I've actually been fortunate to kill a couple of really good ones myself. But I mean, why, when I, probably the biggest thing for me was when I moved here was figuring out how to hunt the hills. You know, obviously everybody knows I was real flat. And when I moved up here, it was, I had to figure out the thermals and the winds and how the hills, you know, everything happened totally different than what I was used to. So a little, accom little accommodation for that. But after that, I mean, yeah, I've killed some good deer since I've lived up here too. So I know they're around, so it's a little bit harder to kill. <laughs> Love it. And uh, you can go back to Iowa every four or five years. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually pretty fortunate. I got quite a few buddies that now that we've gotten a little bit older, um, you know, they've purchased their own farms and are yanking at me to come down, you know, whenever I draw. So hopefully here next year I'm going to put in again because we just had another little kid here. So it wasn't in the books for this year. But next year I'm planning on making a trip down to see the boys and go down there for a couple of weeks and try to see if I can't uh, get successful again. Absolutely. Speaking of hunting and preparing and this is probably one of the coolest times in the archers, archery industry 
because more and more guys and gals are getting accustomed to the idea of prep, uh, seasonal prep. And one of the great things about a pro shop is if you have any questions, there's the cool thing about Matthews is you have one of the coolest online uh, attributes as far as like picking out a bow, but to actually shoot it and feel it. What we want to kind of dive into is this year's release from the V3s to the Atlas to the Prima. Uh, there's two two lengths on the V3s, kind of the signature bow, the flagship bow of this year. In your mind, not only as a sales professional, but also as a techie, as an engineer background, you know, everything that you kind of throw into it, give us your opinion. Give us what you are talking to guys about, why the V3 stands out. And, and Matthews has made a great product for the last umpteen years. But why, when yeah. we started the V-Series from the Verdicts and then we graduated to the VXR, and some guys are, or gals are getting hung up on, well, you know, the VXR is phenomenal. Why would I go, why would I shoot something else? What have we changed? What are we doing? What are we looking at on the Matthews line this year that stands it uh, above anything else? Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, each year we look at what people are looking for. And we take the feedback that we get from, you know, you guys as retailers or consumers that are buying the product. And, you know, we try to not only evolve our technologies, but we try to provide something that is suitable for everybody. Um, by that, you know, different bow specs, you know, axle axle lengths, draw lengths that are available. Um, something that's been pretty huge that, you know, since the verdicts that we've capitalized on is, you know, there still are quite a few states that utilize the 80% let off as their maximum let off that they can. So we try to cater to that. Um, so each year when we look at, you know, different products and what's what we want to change or how we can make our bows better, um, the best way that I can really describe it is it's kind of like, like, you know, NASCAR. I mean, those guys, they're all building bows or building cars, kind of like we build bows against our competitors, but it's the small things that we do to make our product that much better than what our competitors have. Um, to kind of, like, you know, highlight that, I mean, if you look at the V3s this year, um, you know, the the new um, center guard, uh, roller guard, it is directly in center of the bow, perfectly in line with the burger hole, which, you know, when we did that, everybody was kind of like, well, duh, yeah, we should have done this before. It's always kind of one of those things that's been like, wow, why didn't we do that or think of that prior to this? But that's, you know, why Matt is who he is. I mean, he just, the little things are things that he figures out, but that, that center guard, roller guard, I mean, it, with it being in dead center, it puts equal pressure um, from the top and the bottom cam on the bow so that the bow will actually synchronize in time significantly better um, because of the equal pressure. Not saying that the older systems are bad, but like I said, just like, you know, anything, if you can tweak something just a little bit to make it better, and it's going to make, you know, our, our end consumer be a better shooter, more successful, um, you know, have the forgiveness for the bow that much better. I mean, to me, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, and I would agree so with that. So that's just one small uh, thing. With that center guard is a way bigger deal than a lot of people give it credit for. Because I know between my VXR and my V3, tuned in a lot easier. And, I mean, it's just more forgiving. It, it shoots really, really, really well. It does, and it well, holds. It holds extremely well. Um, you know, last year, like the VXR, I had one of my more successful hunting setups, and I'm a, I'm a big target guy, so I, I can try to incorporate how I build a target bow into a hunting bow, and I demand the same accuracy, the same forgiveness, the same feel. Uh, like you say, the 80% mods versus 85 and so forth. But like Jake said, the tuning, and even as a bow technician, when we grab one off the shelf or take it out of a box, and tie in a rest and we go to the draw board, our timing is already on. It's it's perfect. And there's not a lot that we have to do. Once in a while you gotta, you know, top hat something over for a particular shooter, but it's made setup not that it wasn't already super easy, but it's it's super easy now. Yeah, just one last step that you gotta take. And I mean to, you know, highlight on that, I mean, you know, when we we changed that roller guard over to the center guard we actually had to redo the cam. So a lot of people, you know, they look at the VXR 28 and the VXR 31.5 and they're like, well, the V3 31 and 27 are pretty close and blah, blah, blah. Well, they're not. I mean, every bow has a specific cam that works with it better. And we actually had, to, when we changed that roller guard on the V3s this year, 
we actually had to redo our cams. So if you look at them, you know, the old cams are labeled just SW for switch weight. And, you know, the, the new cams on this year, those are SW2s. And that has to come back to like what you guys are talking about. I mean, easier setup and everything in the way that it lines up and all those things are, you know, contributing to, you know, what we're talking about, more forgiveness, and easier tuning, you know, better synchronization. But not that, like I said, not to take away from the stuff before that was bad, but anytime we can make your guys' lives easier and ours easier, definitely going to jump on that opportunity. Yeah, and I think that translates to, for the end consumer, we get done tuning your bow, you go sight it in, there's just less frustration. Your broadheads are going to hit on, more more than likely hit on than than not, and you're going to sight your bow in, it's going to stay in tune, you're going to have more shots in the center without struggle. And, and end of the day, you're going to enjoy it more. Absolutely. I would agree 100%. And the guys that are, you know, purchasing bows, like let's just say for today, and it's 100 degrees out and you get it set up and it's in tune and you shot it through paper and things are good and you get your sight tape and you get your sight marks out, you know, the next couple of weeks. When you come to August 20th and you're heading on an elk hunt or an antelope hunt or a muley hunt or even getting ready for whitetails in September and October, and you put it on the draw board, cables, they, they, they react to what's going on. And now with the center guard technology is nine times out of 10, we've had our bows for a long time so that we've seen this. Like when I put it on the draw board for turkey hunting, my bow was still in spec. The cams, the mods, everything was hitting exactly the same. Because again, we're pulling on both cams, putting the same amount of pressure on both cables at the same time, all the time. So you're, you're not having to re... Uh, configure your cam situation and sync them because it's 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 reacting the same all the time yeah and i can attest to that i was in alaska three weeks ago bear hunting with my bull took it apart kind of took it down took everything off it to get more stuff in my case so i could bring Mm -hmm. more stuff home put it together and we had our 3d shoot last weekend and shooting out to 100 yards and all i did was bolt it back on and shoot and, and everything was right on you know, I wasn't off a half yard or a yard or anything else. And, and, and it, you probably fluctuated. You know, we don't really talk about weather. Oh, yeah. But your boat, yep. you went from whatever degrees to yep. we're shooting at 105 degree temps on Saturday and Sunday. And, yep. and if you don't think that has an effect on bows and strings, then you probably haven't been shooting long enough. But it didn't have any effect as far as the performance wise mm-hmm. on yours. Yeah, and I think that center guard helps with that because everything's even. You know, so even if your cables do stretch a little bit or something changes a little bit, it changes together a little more. So you have more forgiveness for that tune. Absolutely. I would, I would agree 100%. You guys nailed it on, on the head for sure. And Chris, I got I to gotta ask you this because everybody yeah. has their air quote own opinion. From the switch, weight, yeah. the switch weight cam to the switch weight two cam, you said you switched a little bit. Yeah. I personally think the V331 is smoother from from stationary to full draw. I, is there something that you guys did, or did it just it happen comes, to be that way? Yeah, it actually comes along with that roller guard. I mean, by putting that roller guard in the center of the bow, you now no longer have more binding pressure on the top portion or above the center on the top cam and that portion of the cables. So anytime you can alleviate pressure out of a system, that's going to allow it to feel like it's going to draw smoother for sure. So by having less, you know, binding pressure against the cables because of the roller guard, not being up as high more in the center of the bow, that's going to help reduce that little bit of a negative drag that's there, which is in turn, probably what you're talking about, why it feels like a draw smoother because it, it is, I mean, it's, there's not that as much pressure on the, on the roller guard itself. I love it. And in, in the V3 this year, we have a 27 inch model which is right there, one of the shortest that we've seen in a long time. And that's axle-axle. For those of you that are getting caught up on the numbers, that's from the axle, top axle to the bottom axle, what we call ATAs, 27 inches. And then we have the 31, which we cut a half inch off of last year. You guys did. Um, And surprisingly, what opens my eyes in this industry is even, I'm a bigger guy, and I shoot a 29-inch draw, and I can shoot the 27 just as accurate as the 31, I see more and more guys, not because it's more compact or not because it's easier to pack in the mountains or in a tree stand or a blind, minus string angle, you see a lot of guys gravitating towards that 27 more than the 31. Do you, have, you, have you experienced that? Is it, is it still 50-50 or what are you guys looking at? 
Yeah, we might have lost him for a second here. We'll call him back. This is live. This is the cool thing about studio time. <laughs> uh, Jake, you've shot both. Yes. And you've had success with both. Yep. No, I, to me, they're both feel good. Um, the 27 actually, as far as on the shot, probably feels a little smoother. Yeah. Uh, but like yourself, I spend a lot of time behind a target bow. So the Sorry, I missed your call. Leave me a message and I'll call you back. <laughs> so, uh, we'll yeah, the, the string angle is a thing that purely the aspect of going from a 34 to 37 inch bow or 38 inch bow and then mm-hmm. going into my hunting setup without changing the feel so much. Right. Um, between that, you know, I, I'm Chris a, Mobley. And, well, like we say, that's a cool thing about Siri. She's saying, Are you there, Chris? Oh, and then you got to just them over to Bluetooth, so we'll do that. Now we have you, right, Chris? Yes, sir. Sorry, I lost you guys. I don't know if it's from being in the factory or, <laughs> or what was going on there. You got to quit walking around that 17,000-acre place you're at. <laughs> I wish. Right now, for how busy we've been, I'm not doing much walking. Oh. <laughs> I've seen their office. He doesn't have a lot of room to, to <laughs> <No>. walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I got all my deer heads laying on the floor right now, too, so that doesn't help. Ooh. Are you getting in a new office, or what are you hanging all your deer heads up for? Not um, enough room. Actually, oh, no. well, <laughs> yeah. He's just putting them on the floor now. In, yeah, we, well, we put in all new flooring in the offices up here, and... Um, they painted the walls while they were at it, so I have all my deer heads. We had to take them out, and I got to put them back in. I just haven't got them up on the wall yet. Hashtag pro problems. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and Jake, you guys got pro problems. Yeah. Right, I forgot where we were. Oh, we were talking about 27s versus 31 and why some guys are gravitating to that. And Is it smoother? Is it better if string angle isn't a big issue if they're not totally aware of their anchor point? Have you seen, yeah, have you seen that? The honestly, I mean, it's still right at fifty fifty. I mean, we get a ton of people in the Midwest that still love the shorter axle axle bows, and traditionally, you know, more of the Western states are a little bit longer axle axle. But we've, you know, these last few years have just kind of just floored us because, you know, where traditionally we'd sell the shorter bows here, we've been still selling some of the longer ones, and vice versa. I mean, out west, some of the guys are loving the shorter axle axle, which, you know, some of our dealers that never order short bows they're actually stocking the short bows just being blown away and i think a lot of it has to do with that longer riser um gives a lot of that longer bow feeling mm-hmm. even though the bow is not overall really long the riser is really long yeah and anytime you can put more material obviously above and below your hand in the riser portion of the bow is where that that forgiveness comes from and i mean you know from the vxr 28 to the v327 I mean, the risers are almost identical. They're literally, I think, within a quarter inch. I could be even a little bit less. I might be off on that. Don't quote me. But if you look at the angle of the limbs, though, and which obviously will dictate where the axle is going to fall, the limbs are actually beyond parallel in the V327, which, I mean, I know I heard it this last year, you know, when we launched bows, it's like, wow, this thing's even more dead than the VXR28 and the Tri-X and some of the other shorter, shorter bows that we've had over the past years. And I think a lot of it has to do with that longer riser, but the past parallel limbs and, you know, the, the V331, same, same kind of situation. If you look at them, I mean, from the VXR 31.5 to the V331, the risers are fairly similar, but the limbs are past parallel. And, you know, anytime that you can get those limbs, you know, curling around and, you know, creating that opposing forces against each other to help eliminate that post shot vibration, that's going to be huge. Cause that's where, the smoothness of the post shot comes from and the minimal vibration is, you know, minimizing that movement there. Well, and I think too, you know, Wade would be in the same group as me. I spend a lot of time behind a TRX shooting Mm -hmm. a target bow. And, you know, up until probably three or four years ago, when I would switch back to my hunting bow from a target bow, it always was so tough to point. Like you got used to a, a bow that would sit and point really well. You could work work your shot and not have to worry about that. And now I'm amazed. I mean, I get behind my V331, and it it darn near feels just like the longer target bows, the way it points names. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the transition isn't there or it isn't noticeable. It's it's amazing how well they point. And I think yeah, it, and that, and that, 
Go ahead. Yeah, like you're saying, I mean, that just contributed. I think that's contributed to due to that riser just being so long. I mean, you look at the limb angles, that's probably close to the only difference between those two bows, obviously cams and mods and everything else aside. But if you're to look at just the, the mainframe of the bow, I bet you the risers aren't too far off from being close in length. Uh, we actually took a, a V331, like, two days after we got the bows, and we had a, a TRX 36 and a 34 that we laid on, you know, and then we took pictures. And like you're saying, a quarter inch, half inch difference, which the stability, I would be afraid to put a set of long bars on a V331 and set it up. And it's actually documented. There's videos on YouTube, and, and I won't mention any names, but there's some Matthew shooters out there that are scoring, if not better, the same as their TRXs. Yeah, and I'm not right. taking anything away from a TRX because I'm in love with them. But <clears throat> it's, it would be scary to do that and, like, see what your scores and your differences would be. Yeah, actually, uh, playing at home, did that for a while and shot for a little bit this winter with my V3 just to kind of play around and get the feel of it. Mm-hmm. Just because the cam's so smooth, it's so much fun to shoot. And it, it holds... I mean, it, it does. It, it just holds. It does. It's uh, I've wrecked more arrows, and we don't shoot cheap arrows this year with the <laughs> V3 uh, to the point it's almost painful shooting one spot, you know, longer distance. But as we're talking about the cam sequence and the difference right now, there are none, and I'm going to say that safely, where I can take, doesn't matter how big you are or how many pounds you can shoot, the aspect or the engineering ingenuity behind it is a switch weight mod so we can go from 60 to 75 pounds just by switching the mod for the lower pounded shooters we can take a 60 pound mod and turn the limb bolts and we're not really losing anything on the bow we can get it down talk a little bit about your limbs and the switch weight mods like we can basically go from 40 pounds up to 77 78 pounds with the same exact bow yep yep so the beautiful thing about switch weight mods you know, and kind of the concept about it behind it is, you know, a bow is always going to shoot at its optimal performance when the limbs are maxed out and everything's down snug. And, um, you know, looking at it from the perspective of, you know, some guys want to use the same bow for hunting as they do 3d, but they don't want to shoot the same poundage. And we didn't want to have to mess around with, you know, having to buy different limbs or turning the limb bolts out, which you still can do, mind you. I mean, these are still adjustable, loosening the limb bolts, but, um, you know, the, the switch weights are available every five pound increments, so 75, 70, 65, and 60. Um, so you can keep your bow maxed out if you so choose to do that. Um, you know, but like on a 60 pound mod, you can take three turns out of it and it'll reduce the weight by, gosh, I think it's like 16 pounds, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, somebody that's only shooting in that 45, 46 pound range, there's still a bow there that they'd be able to utilize. And that's, that's huge because, you know, going from, you know, hunting season and then switching over to 3D, you wouldn't have to reset up your entire bow. You could swap out the mods, retime your rest just to make sure that's going to be, you know, need to be adjusted a little bit going down to a lower poundage because the, the travel isn't as far on the cable. But you can switch that in a matter of, let's say, 15 minutes. You can have a bow that's 3D course ready or vice versa. You can be ready to go hunt. And that's huge. I mean, used to be, and I'm sure you guys kind of, dealt with this in the past where a guy comes in wants to swap out the limbs and then brings it back in in the fall to have it swapped back out so that he can swap the limbs back out for his hunting ones well now it's just you know four screws and boom you're done right and it's it's exactly for turkey hunting you know you don't need a lot of power you're not usually taking far shots and if you are you can still be accurate but you know sitting in a blind or sitting on your knees or, or on your butt on the ground or whatever, you, you 60 pounds is enough, you know? And then let's say you Absolutely. wanted to, to build up your, your bow stamina and your personal stamina. You run 65 for a couple of weeks, come in, switch them out, go to 70. And the days of when guys would come in the shop and say, oh, I need to shoot 75 pounds, 80 pounds, going on an elk hunt, you know, big and bad and bold. <laughs> yeah. well, to be honest with you, it doesn't take much to draw a 75-pound mod on the V3. I mean, it's, it's very, very smooth. It does not feel like it's overloading like some of the bows in the past, whichever brand you look at. So, you know, the options are endless on that. And uh, I think it, it customers, sometimes they overlook that aspect of, they think they're buying a 70-pound bow, but realistically, you're actually buying four bows in one. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, like going on this bear hunt spot and stock, I was a little more concerned about pin gap. Um, 
you know, so I'm shooting 72, 73 pounds now, and I reset that bow up for whitetails. I'm going to drop it probably 64, 65 pounds. So when it's cold and I've been sitting there for mm-hmm. hours, I can pull it back easy, and it's, you know, more known yardage. You're sitting in your stand. you got plenty of time to know what trail that is and what tree that is. So it gives you the versatility of easily to do that without – you know, cranking your bolt, limb bolts way out or in, you can just swap mods. In the days of, for guys that are afraid, and I know you guys have dealt with this over there and in personal on how it ever, the big FOC, the extremely heavy arrows, we're still looking at one of the fastest bows, IBO speeds on the market as far as a hunting flagship setup. The cool Absolutely. thing about Matthews is there's no aftershock. There's no, even if, if let's say you're setting up an antelope rig, which I got, I'm starting to build that setup right now. Same thing Jake's saying is I don't want to have pin gaps. I want to be able, you know, they're quick, they're agile animals. Sometimes a 60 yard shot is, is, is you spend all week and that's what you're going to have water hole or not. I don't want to have to feel it practicing that way. And I, you know, I can shoot up there in the, in the teens, a 314, 315 range and be very happy with my pin gap, but still enjoyable to shoot that bow practicing and then hunting i'm not going to have any i'm not going to worry about a recoil setup so to speak well that's the thing too i mean matt's a huge person with efficiency and everything that you're talking about is 100 percent like pointing towards efficiency i mean you know with the switchway system we utilize the abs system which is the inner portion of that cam and you know in past history any sort of dual cam system, um, the cable continuously wraps around the cam per se. And as you draw that back with the AVS ring, if you watch somebody draw a V3, let's say 31, you actually see that the cable or that AVS ring starts on the inside. And as it draws, that AVS ring will actually switch and go to the outside of the cam. So it's actually taking up the cable and it's letting it back out. With that being done, it's not building pressure into the system. It's actually releasing that pressure back out of it. It's like you were talking about, you know, you, you can shoot a 75-pound bow, and it doesn't feel like a seized-up lawnmower when you go to, to pull it back. I mean, it's enjoyable to shoot. And being able to use that ABS system to store that energy and put it back into the system has been by far one of the best things, you know, that we've had in our product over, you know, it's not just the ABS ring isn't just, you know, on the V3 or the VXRs, but we've had on some of our other bows, the Tri-X and the Verdicts and whatnot. But, you know, going back to what you said about being able to shoot a 75-pound bow and have it shoot with ease, and that, that's where all that comes from is definitely from that system, which is, I think, probably what makes our bows stand out more than anything. Um, it's just how it's smooth they draw, even being at higher weights. And it, and it all relates to accuracy. You know, we the stability platform of the newer risers, it's uh... – like Jake mentioned it, you know, a bow that aims itself is our big exaggerated figure eights on your pin movement, you know, is now just a small U. It just, it just kind of sits there right on the target and, and stabilization, obviously you can play with the stabilizers and, and really get it. So it's fine tuned, but right out of the box and in an incorporated, I always call it when we're, when we're doing our sales pitch more or less is there's already an, an incorporated stabilizer to the fact of that, down on the bottom the the dampener you know the new minis um there are some weight below your hand so the bow is very very stable uh without anything on it absolutely i mean the ehs uh 740 the nano you know that's a little bit heavier than you know our past ones um and it's by you know it's strategically placed that way i mean it's roughly i think like 300 grains heavier than the past ehs ones that we had and um, it's kind of like what you're saying. I mean, you're creating more of a weighted point at the bottom of the bow. And I always used to um, help with teaching Academy back when I first started working here. And I always tell people, I mean, if you take an arrow and try to balance it in the palm of your hand, like stand it straight up and you put a, a one pound weight on the top of that arrow and you try to balance it, it's pretty hard. It wants to fall over all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you take that arrow and you flip it around and you put that weight on the bottom, it automatically self, self-balances. Same thing with the bow. I mean, you put that weight in the bottom of the bow, and that's why you see your V-bars and everything. A lot of guys will actually have them come off and back and down because mm-hmm. you're, you're creating the center of gravity and you're having everything stabilized on the bottom. 
all at one time. So that's huge. And that's, we always mess around with different weights and different sizes of different things in different locations. And that was for this particular V3 setup for the 27M31, that, that 740 Nano just seemed to be just the money spot. I mean, it wasn't too heavy. It wasn't too light. And, you know, obviously we're looking at reducing vibration with our dampering system and it just, it, it was the perfect fit for those. And yeah, I mean, nothing, there's anything that won't come that's new in the future, but I think that's going to be a pretty hard one to beat there. Well, and I think you, you address that right there. Like, I think a lot of people look from one generation, Matthews, the other and, and feel like you guys just put something there cause you had it there in the past. Mm-hmm where you touched on, well, we moved this thing around, we're 300 grains heavier, like, you know, there's improvement and there's reasons why things there, you're not overlooking any part of that bow and not making it better. Absolutely. I mean, just little things that, I mean, that we always incorporate every year. I mean, I'm sure you guys, anybody that's familiar with our product and you guys in the shop have been noticing, we've been looking at accessories a lot more too. I mean, you know, they engage limb legs, you know, they clip right onto the cup. You can, you can leave it on your bow while you're shooting. So, you know, spot and stock hunt or turkey ground blind hunt, I mean, those engaged limb legs that are basically a tripod on the bottom of the bow to hold the bow upright, you know, making you more accessible to, you know, rattling or whatever may be doing during a hunt. And then, you know, that SES system was another thing that we incorporated that, you know, allows for somebody to, you know, pull their bow up in the tree stand that hooks onto that little, uh, the tapered bezel head on the end of that, post and then it also obviously accommodates the sling so you know guys that are out spotting stocking but all these little things we're always just looking at small things that we can you know do to make our product better and be more hunter or user friendly whether it be target bows or hunting bows and it's a great it's a great addition and one thing that so the reason we wanted to do this podcast is sometimes when we do like a um, well i don't even remember what we called our podcast earlier this year but we're super excited, and sometimes we overlooked. If you listen back on that podcast, we talk a little bit about everything that we've taught, but we haven't dove into it like we are right now. A lot of people don't even understand, or, or some of the avid shooters do, but the grip has changed in the last three years. And that yeah. it's probably probably more comments on the grip, you know, for guys that have shot Matthews in the past 10 years. Uh, the new engage grip with or without side plates, whatever you decide. If you want a real thin target uh, riser on skin contact, or if you like the engage grip, you know, with the, the rubber there, so it's it's more enjoyable. That grip has also added to accuracy and better feel overall. Absolutely. I mean, we went from our grip used to be 10 degrees of angle. And now it's actually 14 degrees of angle. So it's giving you a little bit more of like a medium wrist, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've received tons of feedback and that change stemmed from, you know, hunters, our target staff, our internal staff. But I mean, they worked on that thing. I don't even know for how many years or months, but it was a lot, there was a lot of feedback. I know we were literally sending out prototype grips to our pro staff to be like, is this too much? Is this not enough? And trying to find that happy medium so that it would, you know, if we're going to utilize it on our hunting bows, we're going to be able to use it on our target bows. And it was going to pretty much feed everybody's appetite kind of thing. And, yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that a lot of people noticed was, you know, obviously the angle of the grip. But um, the option to have a grip or just use the side plates, depending on personal preference, if you want it to be, you know, a little bit thinner, if you're just accustomed to shooting right off the riser. but you know, with that low profile grip and it actually feels to me, I guess pers- this is just my personal opinion. Um, I've always been a huge fan of our wood grips, but it has that cradling feeling of our wood grip, like right where it meets the V of your hand, mm-hmm. but it has the, the thinner aspect of, you know, what you'd want for a bow to be less torquey, if you will, for lack of better words on my behalf. But I mean, when I, when you put it in your hand, you feel like to me, it feels like it, it cradles in the top of your hand. Perfect but then you don't have any sort of like restriction or things that are going to, you know, cause you to push the bow one way or the other when you're shooting it. And I think that was really, really well received by a lot of people. And, you know, obviously there's always going to be a few people that might not be what they like because they're used to our old stuff, but a lot of them after they, you know, went in the shop, they shot it a lot and just monkeyed around with it. I think it's actually grown on to a lot of people and it's kind of come our new normal and, and standard, I believe. And one of the big words in archery is repeatability. 
and you know sought after i know the engineering team over there that they took that into consideration as well not only feel and comfort but making shot number one the same as shot number six thousand is it's throating your hand it's making it uh, unconsciously knowing that you're repeatedly grabbing the bow and shooting at the same which you can say oh i'm 10 times more accurate because i have a longer riser bow well yes absolutely I'm 10 times more accurate because I'm not, I don't have the anticipation. I'm not worried about after shot uh, reverb, but a lot of it can contribute to that grip. The grip is making you a better, more accurate archer. Absolutely. I would agree. I mean, you guys probably can attest to this. I mean, usually in hunting situations when things unfold, it all just kind of boom right on top of you. And before you know it, you're drawn back. And like you were saying, you know, repeatability, not having to think about how you're holding the bow and, you know, having your hand fall into the same spot in your grip is probably the number, in my opinion, one of the number one things that allows for accuracy because, I mean, we all know we hate that little word of, you know, torquing the bow. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, if you can figure out a way to reduce torque, and especially in a hunting situation where typically we, like you got a big buck walk out in front of you and you want to hold onto your grip a little bit tighter or something, with that grip being the lower profile and smaller in your hand, your chances of that happening are going to be significantly less. So yes, it definitely will assist in like repeatability and being consistent, even in the heat of a, of a hunting situation for sure. And, and it's an affordable concept, you know, it, it, 90% of the bows in our shop, they come with the engaged grip. Uh, we do carry the engaged side plates. Uh, we put them on quite a few bows as well. Uh, you can order it either way, or it's like a $60 upgrade <clears throat> to go. But you guys are also, you know, you don't shun the aftermarket grips. There's a, even a couple of the pro staff guys that are shooting an aftermarket grip. Uh, it's the same concept. It's the same degree as the engage. It's just a little bit different feel. And yeah, I think and I that, mean, that's, yeah, that's the beautiful thing about archery. I mean, no one person's bow setup is going to be the exact same or preference as the person shooting next to them. Yeah, for, I would I would say that you know if you look at like you're saying across the board, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. And, I mean, heck, before we had the, the side plates, I mean, people would even go to the extreme of wrapping, you know, racket tape around the handle to mm-hmm. make it feel that way they want to. And with the custom grips that are out there, too, yeah, it can, it can give you a lot more options and avenues to explore. And then one more thing before we get into, like, your setup and your, your season prep, and I kind of want to dive into how you're setting your bows up. But the cool thing about Matthews, and again, kudos to the engineering team and all you guys over there, we talk about little things. Like, forever and ever and ever, we'd bolt the quiver onto your site, right? And if it came loose or rattled or as inconvenience, it stuck out. But when we talk about your quiver and the two quivers we can have and then the mounting system is it's actually CNC'd into the riser and the way that you can mount, you know, the Q-Light quiver, rather be the AeroWeb design or the two-piece you know, that says a lot as well as having a foundation. A quiver is a pretty important part. Absolutely. I mean, you know, every year we're looking at, you know, what can we change on, on our quivers? What can we make better? Or, you know, what small tweaks can we do? And, I mean, as you guys probably seen here a few years back, I'm a huge fan of a two-piece quiver because I don't like taking my quiver off my bow because I'm usually the guy that if I took it off, I'd probably be the one to leave it on the hillside and, like never find it again. Right. <laughs> so, um, like our Q light, I mean, we literally cut the weight in half of what our old two piece quivers used to be. And, um, if you guys, any, anybody out there that's familiar with our product, like Wade was talking about, I mean, we do try to make our quivers so they're, they're concrete when they're on the bow. So that rattling extra vibration, any of that stuff that might be a problem with quivers in the past, um, you know, by having that machined in there, it's going to eliminate a lot of that. And I mean, our quivers are unique to our bows. I mean, we can't take our quivers and put them on other competitors' bows. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that we're constantly evolving. And, uh, yeah, I mean, our, our one, our one piece quiver is offered in a four and a six arrow quiver. Um, the Q light's just a six arrow, but, uh, yeah, with the new bridge risers, we're actually able to get the quivers a little bit tighter to the bow in the setup, which will, obviously allow her for a better um, center point, you know, have everything tight to the bow is always important. So you don't have a lot of lean going off one way or the other, but we we're always constantly looking at, you know, the small things that we can tweak. And that's why these probably seen some of the smaller changes that we've made, even, you know, just the style of the quiver hoods, 
you know, that little stuff like that, that makes the, the bow set up more sleek. So yeah, our quivers are, I would have to say probably some of the best in the industry, if not the best, just based on, you know, what we're making them out of, um, you know, even when we're looking at, you know, physical weight or how much a particular piece of the material is going to vibrate. We take all that stuff into consideration to make sure that we're making the best quiver in the industry. I think we are. And as we sit here, Jake and I, and, and Jake has blessed me with the opportunity to like to be in on some of <clears throat> the concepts of archery and the design. And when the integrated rest, the dovetail on the back of the riser came out, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matthews was the first to incorporate this in, in, uh, the, yeah. in the archery yeah. community. We, uh, yeah, it was something that they had met, messed around with for you know quite some time. They'd really looked at, hey, can we make this work, you know? And they started diving into it. They started working with QAD, and, you know, we, we partnered with them before the integrated rest, so they were able to work with them um, to try to develop something that would work, you know, on our products. Obviously, there's other competitors that have kind of jumped on that board, on board with that too now, but, um, yes, we were the first ones to come up with that concept, and it's, yeah, it's been well re- really well received. And it comes back to that, sleek, low profile, um, you know, everything in line with the riser, trying to keep your center of gravity to the, the main center part of the bow as much as possible. And Damn. that was one of the other things that just a small thing that we tried to do to, you know, make our overall, you know, packages of bow for hunting and target um, as, as perfect in line as we could. And helps bulletproof that rest. I mean, oh, having, absolutely. Ha- having it not be able to pivot or if you hit it super hard, not be able to pivot on on mm-hmm. that track is, you know, if if you're traveling or or not or just throwing your stuff around or your buddy throws it in the back of the truck and hits something on it, I mean, that can be a lifesaver because everything starts with your rest. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't even know that rest actually has like two points of reference for being held on. So there's an intercept screw that holds the smaller uh, fingers on and then there's actually the outer plate that holds it on. So you actually have not just one bolt holding the rest on, you actually have two different clamping systems that are that are holding that in place. So yeah, it definitely creates more rigidity to the rest for sure and being able to, you know, be put through a lot more before you never have to worry about it being able to be bumped. And it's it's micro adjust, um, <clears throat> getting away from the dovetail, but the way that that rest, it's called an IMX rest, uh, that you can put on there, the micro adjust. So back in the day when we were having a broadhead tune, if you need to go what a top hat won't do or just a little bit less than what the top hat spacing will do, you can micro tune your rest. I'm particularly picking on the, the fixed blade broadhead guys. You can, you, I mean, we're talking like 45 thousandths of an inch every click to where you're, you know, two clicks is going to bring your bear shaft together or your, your broadhead flight. You know, you can really, really fine tune and then take a picture of it because it has a nice little number dial on there and it's the same all the time like jake said it's not going to move on you it's something that you can pretty much just bury and not have to think about ever again i would agree 100 percent. i mean i'm sure you guys have been in the same situation as me where you're going to go do some sort of micro adjustment it doesn't have the micro adjustability out there you loosen the screw and then you bump it and it goes like a mile and you're like oh was it the second or the third mark or the fourth mark that it was on and basically starting from ground zero all over again and yeah, that micro adjustability has been awesome. It, it's been really well received too. A lot of people are like, well, what do we need that for? But like you're saying, you know, when it comes to, you know, the fixed blade broadheads or even just sometimes when a guy set up, you know, if they're borderline with a stiffer or not a stiff enough arrow and they're kind of teetering right on the line, but they really love those arrows and they really want to shoot them, maybe it's based on weight, whatever. Um, it'll give them an ability to, to be able to tune that out of it for sure. And as far as, one more little thing, and then Jake, you can add to this. <clears throat> One I've noticed, I've uh, 70, 73 pounds, 29, 29 and a half inch draw. I've always been a 300 spine guy. On like my victory, my rip TKO has been a 300. This is the first bow in the last four years where I can tune a 350 spine arrow and get the same function. What I'm doing is I'm lighting up my arrow so I can have a little bit more FOC. Is that something that just happened or is it something you've seen across, you know, the board 
as far as is there something that the center guard did that did that help out or why are we able to get? I think it did. I really do. I do because I was talking to some of the um, R and D guys and I was like, man, I was like, you know, I'm only a 28 inch draw and I typically shoot for white tails right around 65 pounds, kind of like probably close to what you guys are shooting or you know right in that range. And I've always at 70 pounds had to shoot um, right at that 340 with our pass cams and. I am actually able to tune a 400 spine and a 340 spine with my bow, which has, I don't know last. I mean, if, unless I'm shooting like down in the sixties, I've never been able to shoot a 400 spine arrow and mostly just looking at it from like overall weight for shooting flatter trajectories, you know? But, um, yeah, these, the V3s, they definitely are able to shoot a little bit lighter spine. And I think it has to do with that, you know, center guard location and the cams having equal pressure on them. And, Sometimes, you know, that'll dictate whether it's wanting a slightly higher or lower spine. And it seems like typically in the past, it's always been, if you're on that teetering line, so let's say you could probably shoot either or. A lot of times you have to bump up and go to the next spine up, but I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. I wasn't there for the engineering part of it, but it seems like this year, you know, it's preferring the, the little less stiff arrow. I, I, think. I think it might have to do with that draw force curve uh, change. I 100% think it has to do with that center guard because I usually, like my process setting up my bow, I usually set my bow up to what, to fit me, shoot it a little bit, kind of get comfortable with it, and then I start going through my pile of arrows and shooting bear shafts with with fletching and trying to see where I got the most forgiveness, and I could I could pipe anything through that thing, and they mm-hmm. were hitting, and and normally they're, you know, that's kind of where you see where you need to be and how fussy a bow is going to be and how your setup's going to be. I mean, I I was able to get the exact grain weight I wanted for my setup, dial in my speed and do everything off of my arrow work and have it fall into a perfect tune. Mm-hmm. Where normally it's it's such a tug of war for me cuz I'm not a real heavy arrow guy, so I'm I'm really watching the chronograph too when I'm setting up my my setup and I could I could 100% go to the arrow setup I wanted for speed and have it tune in and normally it's always a balancing act for me and and i did it by accident i was uh you know setting it up particularly after turkey hunting turkey hunting i still shoot a very light setup anyways if not a head chopper and i did say that aloud i tried it this year the uh i just had a set of 350s that i put through and it was it was a bullet hole and i first thing i did is i looked and made sure i had 70 pound mods because i was like okay i accidentally left my 60s in and that's why it's tuning so good but it wasn't. They were 70s, and it tuned, and then it bear shaft tuned, and then the grouping. That's how I was seeing earlier. And, and, and I don't want to get into the fight about, you know, feet per second. But for the game that I'm chasing right away is I want to shoot in the 312 to 315 range because my sight tape, I shoot a three-pin slider, black gold. I can put all three pins on an animal at 40, and then I don't have to really adjust even those further shots. And, and it was just an accident. And then I accident, I, I heard, uh, I don't remember if it was a podcast or a YouTube video with uh, some guys talking about, yeah, it's we've seen it kind of all over that you can get away with that. You're not really getting away. It's just the bow is allowing you the, that advancement. But with that being said, we kind of dove completely into it. We didn't really talk about the Atlas and the Prima. The Atlas, for those of you listening and don't know, that's for what we call the big daddies. The long draw guys, the uh, shortest draw length on that bow is 29 and a half, 29. Yes, sir. Yep, 29 and a half. And then you can go all the way up to, I don't know, very many guys that can't shoot that bow. It's a, it's a little bit heavier bow, but it's it's built very, very forgiving, huge brace height. And then the Prima, um, both of our wives, Jake and I, I'm not familiar with your wife's setup at that, but she's shooting a Prima. She loves it. It's lightweight. It... Uh, I put the CCS cams in there, so I'm getting some speed for her to hunt. It's uh, just a really, really nice women's bow or kid's bow uh, for your, your lower draw lengths and weights. And that, I think the weight attests to that. It's yeah. a longer longer bow, so it's very forgiving, uh, very steady. But those lines, those bows have been selling very well as, you know, as well. I repeated myself there, but... Let's uh, let's talk about setups a little bit, Jake. You've changed your setup a little bit, and you just got back from a successful bear hunt. Uh, take us through what you're running, and then uh, if we get the opportunity, Chris, I really want you to dive in. If you, I, you might probably have a couple setups, but what's your go-to if I had to send you on a coveted tag? 
hunt in a week you know what what are you what's your bow from start to finish what are you running you want me to go first yeah you go first all right so i'm shooting v331 uh and on this bear hunt i'm mostly shooting a garmin wherever a garmin is legal okay now this was a general season bear tag alaska you could have shot a garmin Mm -hmm. um it was legal but we were hunting from skiffs living on the boat i was a little nervous about water Mm -hmm. you know being in and out of the ocean and that kind of stuff so i shot a five pin slider part of the reason i was really worried about arrow weight um spot and stock bear you know you don't know where you're going to be how things are going to go where he's going to move your 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 ability to range um, so I shot 390 to 400 grain arrow. I don't know exactly where I ended up. Uh, 300 victory HV with 50 grain insert. So I kept 150 grains up front. And I think it was chronoing. I'm 30 inch draw. I think 321 was mm-hmm. what my hunting setup was at. Super forgiving. And like I said, normally shooting that faster arrow, getting bear shafts to fly, getting everything to tune right. be a little more tricky. That bow tuned right in. I mean, it it was probably the easiest setup bow I've ever had. Like I went through, got everything flying on, sighted it in, and and that was it. Um, and I'm probably gonna stick. I don't have any out west tags this year or anything planned. Just whitetail, and I'll probably stick with that same arrow setup. Okay. Um, and probably just throw Garmin back on for in the tree stand, and right. that'd be my that'd be my whitetail setup. And, and you're I, you're what were you running for a rest? Uh, Matthews, I am Yep. Okay. Yep. Then now when you're spot stocking, some of us got lucky enough to see some of the video, but was that a, did you have a quiver? Were you, did you have a two piece? You had the two piece. I'm a two piece guy. I don't like taking my quiver off. And uh, like, to me, like their one piece design is, is a great design. It's Mm -hmm. as good as anybody's one piece design, but I like if, if my bow is on my lap or moving around, like having those arrows farther apart. You know, there's less movement in them. Yep. It's it's quieter on your bow, and and I don't, you know, to what Chris said too about it being lighter weight and closer to center, mm-hmm. or traditionally like even in their last generation of their two piece arrow, like my bow felt different with the quiver on, mm-hmm. and my bow felt different with arrows in the quiver. Gotcha. Um, my V three with that Q light, actually my last couple with that Q light. Yeah. One, I don't notice a difference with it on because it's so light. And number two, having everything closer to center. Right. Like, I, I can't tell if I got five arrows in my quiver or one arrow in my quiver or no arrows right. in my quiver. It feels the same at full draw, which I like because, I mean, I don't always like, I mean, I don't always have arrows in my quiver or whatever, you know? Yep. And on that hunt, you had the opportunity. You made a phenomenal shot, a kill shot. He was on his way to his death moan. But you got another arrow in him. Yeah, I got four in him. <laughs> so you, if your quiver wasn't there. Hey, yeah. That's getting your money's worth. <laughs> but, no, I, I shot him, and actually, so on this hunt, it was spot and stock, and, and the way that everything was, so we were getting dropped off by skiffs, and spring bear hunting is all about food. Okay. Um, and snow melt. Yeah. So snow melt on, on it was, I mean, the mountains were still half snow capped. Mm-hmm. All the green was in the bottom. It was in the river bottoms. It couldn't have been, I mean, honestly, it couldn't have been an easier spring bear hunt because we didn't have to work nearly as hard as I thought we were going right. to. Um, and so that bear was feeding towards me. I was kind of stalking towards him. Uh, wind was coming my way, but the way that all the grass was, they were all in the inside corners. And I'd been busted by three other bears at this point where the wind swirled, where I was starting to get into... Yeah, where things were going to happen, and literally like an hour before this one, I got busted at ninety yards on a bear that wind swirled and was gone. So he was feeding towards me. He got to like I think it was forty three yards and laid down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh come on, like <laughs> yeah. you know, you know that sand little timer is just switched over, right. and at some point that wind swirling and he's gone. Well, so I'm trying to get a shot off as soon as I can. You know, yeah. he gets up at one point, it's kind of messing around couldn't get a good shot lays back down then gets up again and i come to full draw and he's at like 40 yards and it was that the timing of your shot were right when i was about the shot to go off he took a step forward at that same time (laughs) to the point where you can't stop your shot and you're like oh man this isn't gonna go well and i hit him a little bit back 
So with the two-piece quiver, my, you know, it yep. was right there, stuck another arrow, and he ran towards me, and I was came to full draw, shot him again at 20, then he kind of fell over, got up, shot him at 30, and then kind of started to go off again, and I shot him at yeah. 40, and then that was the end of it. But right. having that two-piece quiver, you know, in that situation, arrows come on and off easy, you know, it's quiet. It, yep. it sure helps get those extra shots in. And uh, it was successful. Yeah. And yep. One. And I didn't have to track them. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but the bow weight, the, the build, everything was easy. If you yeah. did have to work your butt off. Oh, yeah. No, I was, I was prepared for an average spring bear hunt, which is yeah. a lot of miles and kicking your butt. And I just uh, finally got an easy one, which I'm not going to turn down. No, not at all. Chris, let's, uh, it, let your favorite, your favorite setup as of now, um, Things might switch oh, for this, man. this fall, but what run through your from top to bottom? What you're what you're running? I'm not too far off from Jake minus. Uh, I got the V327 um, Matthews IMX Rest. Um, I'm shooting a one pin slider, actually the Spot Hog Fast Eddie, um, two piece quiver, and running you know the Rip TKOs in a 350 spine. Right at 28 inches, uh, I think I'm at 65 or 67 pounds, if I remember right. I couldn't tell you what it chronographed through. I just know that I can draw it, and it, it just draws like butter. So I'm like, I don't even care what it's shooting. I'm going to make it work because it just draws. I mean, I can sit down in a chair and draw the bow back with a zero amount of effort, which is what I was looking for for turkey hunting, you know. And, yeah, I mean, set up, I think I shot four arrows, and I was pretty much done paper tuning it. I mean, I'm not sure half of it's probably luck, and but I also uh, I'm running a eight inch stabilizer out the front. That's probably one of the number one questions that that we get. You know, here is, hey, what's what's the perfect stabilizer? Like what length, what weight? And, I mean, to answer it honestly, it's personal preference. Yep. Um, I left all the weight on there last year. I I took it all off, but this bow just balances so good with a little bit more weight on it for my personal preference i mean you guys might be a little bit different probably can chime in on that but um it, it just it seems to work for everything that i've that i've had i was able to hunt with it last year obviously we get the bows a little earlier working here which is one of the perks of having, the, having right. a job here but yeah i wasn't able to kill anything with it last year but um got really really close quite a few times just it was like one of those things where i zigged and and he zagged kind of deal but yeah i mean shooting outside back here i mean at a hundred yards, I was shooting in the size of the bottom of a pop can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you can go out and, and shoot six arrows and all of them are within that diameter of, of a group at a hundred yards. I mean, yeah, a lot of guys were giving me a hard time at work here. Cause a lot of them have a little bit longer draws, you know, that 29, 29 and a half, 30. And they're like, Oh, why didn't, why didn't you get the longer bow? And I'm like, man, I, I'm with the Midwest guys where, you know, the shorter, more maneuverable bow, that's what I'm going to shoot every time without a doubt. But I've been, I've been really, really happy with it. It's been a great shooting bow for me. I love it. And that, uh, kind of answered everything. Is there anything else, Jake, that you want to What, uh, you know, one of the things that I always think is interesting and appropriate for this time of year is like prep. Like what do you do to get yourself in shooting shape or to get yourself ready for the stand? I would say that probably my number one thing is, you know, whether you have the opportunity to shoot, you know, during the day, whether it be your lunch hour or maybe at night after your kids, for me, my kids go to bed. Um, I try to shoot at least a couple arrows. I mean, that muscle memory and, you know, we kind of hit on it earlier talking about being able to repeat, you know, your shooting form, your technique and way, you know, your posture, your body and making sure your release is the same and all that. I mean, I try to minimally shoot at least 30 arrows a day. Now, granted, I'm in a place where I can do that, but, you know, even if you're a guy or a gal that can only shoot six arrows or a dozen arrows or whatever, I mean, being able to at least fling a few arrows every day, keep that muscle memory. Um, I always think of, like, golfers. I mean, those guys are out at the range even when they don't want to be there because of the repeatability part of it. And archery is the exact same way. If you can figure out a time just to squeeze in a couple shots, maybe it's only, like I said, three shots at a, at a bag target, even if it's in your garage, just to practice, you know, your release form. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, being able to shoot is, is huge and, you know, getting everything dialed in. I mean, we were talking about it earlier a little bit with two, you know, weather from now until in the fall, you know, just make sure none of your stuff's moving or has moved or gets bumped off or whatever it may be, becoming very familiar with your, with your bow. That, that's what I'm always just making sure that if I'm leaving to go to South Dakota here, you know, in September or, you know, Nebraska, I think is actually where I'm going this year because South Dakota stuff changed, but, um, I'll probably shoot every day until I go and make sure that I'm dialed in so that, you know, if I have to make a 50 or 60 yard shot, I know that my tape is spot on and I could shoot that, you know, bottom of a pop can at that range. And then, you know, once I get my bow dialed in, make sure everything's, you know, bear shafting and paper tuned with my fletchings on. I'm actually, I'm kind of partial to, you know, or I shouldn't say partial, but I'm not as big of a person that's concerned with bear shafting as I'm with fletching because I know that, Obviously, the fletching can potentially change, you know, the way your arrow's spinning, and that's a whole totally different subject for a different day. But, you know, I want to make sure that once I put my fletching on, it's still shooting and tuning, and then throwing the broadhead aspect in there. You're like, okay, so I need to, you know, do something a little bit there to tweak that. And that's usually my final, you know, steps is making sure my broadheads and field points are fairly close. I mean, sometimes you guys are probably run into bows yourselves where it's impossible to get you know, broadhead to hit the exact same as a field point, you know, within, you know, half inch or an inch or whatever it may be, depending on the diameter of the, the cutting diameter of the broadhead you're shooting. But that's usually, for me, the number number one thing is, you know, for me would be preparation and making sure that I'm going to be able to draw my bow back, you know, smoothly. And it's not, I'm not going to be sky drawing it to get, you know, let's say if I'm going to shoot 75 pounds, I'm not struggling to pull it back. Um, that's probably the number one thing is I think, you know, just because the bows have become so much more accurate and more forgiving and easier to shoot, I think people feel like they don't need to practice as much. And I'm still, I'm, I'm a huge person of pushing, hey, the more you practice, the better you're going to be. And that's really, I mean, you'll see it here, you know, in probably another month. I mean, every time there's a break, whether it be lunch or, you know, just a 15-minute break, guys are out shooting arrows out back. And, and there's nothing, I think, that you can do to simulate a, a situation better than what we what we do here, you know, shooting, practicing, you know, there's even chairs in our shooting lane that you can sit down. So if you want to, you know, shoot from a sitting position, but try to, you know, imitate what you're going to be doing in the field and, and just, you know, flat out just winging some arrows. I like that suggestion. Talk to your employer, tell them to split the lunchroom in half mm-hmm. and come get some targets <laughs> for the other half of the lunchroom. <laughs> Actually, Jake, since you've been here, I think you'd be kind of blown away. So we've uh, been doing pictures. a little remodeling. Yeah. Yeah, we got that new indoor split in half. So there's we have an indoor 50-yard shooting range, and half of it's for engineering, and the other half is for the Matthews employees. So days like today, when it's 94 degrees, whatever it's going to be, we can still go shoot up there in the air conditioning, which is awesome because, you know, also when we're doing testing and stuff, you know, not just with Matthews stuff, but like even like, you know, our sub-1 crossbows and that stuff. I mean, having a controlled environment to test products is huge, and I know, it's one of the things that we we definitely you know take for for granted that we have such an amazing facility to work with and truly it, it allows us to make our products that much better just because we have that capability for sure. And you, so have, you're more than welcome to come up anytime if you want to come drive up and shoot some arrows. <laughs> All right, I'll be there after lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll regret you'll regret that inv- invitation. <laughs> Bows galore. Well, it's been awesome, Chris, and, and and like you say, maybe we'll we'll chime in with you here closer to season and get a couple of you guys on. Um, we have a lot of success with Matthews products, all of their products, their bows. We have them <clears throat> readily available for those of you that don't know. In the industry, it has been probably one of the craziest years in a year and a half that we've ever had, and we we're blessed. Jake has three shops, and the quantity. And I encourage guys and gals just to come in. If you even if you're like if you're stuck on the, I have my bow. It's set up. I I'm superstitious, or I've had so much success with it. You can always come in and test drive. Doesn't mean that you have to buy that day, but it's an eye opening experience just to shoot the bows and and play around. And we'll switch out the mods, and we'll let you experience everything that it has to offer. And then and if a setup comes out of it, that's awesome. You know, it just gives you. I think. And a knowledgeable archer is a better archer. Yeah, and I think, you know, like having Chris on a podcast like this, and we've had some of the other guys, like 
for our customers to be able to see and hear like the how genuine those guys over there are about their products mm-hmm. um you know our goal at archery country is to have our customers have a positive experience absolutely um and and at times you know i think sometimes people think that you know because you know we're our largest vendor is matthews you know we carry them all but that's our largest vendor yeah and and part of that reason that's our largest vendor is because our customers have success and we have guys like chris and we have other guys at matthews that are passionate about putting out great products and standing behind their products to make sure that you're having a good experience, which is number one. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it attributes, you know, like customer service. We talk about it. You usually don't have to go through Matthews. You can come through us and we take care of it. But on our end, <clears throat> like it's a day turnaround. It's We ask them questions. We had a tuning question last week, which all of us are very knowledgeable and I'm not being uh, cocky about it, but we can kind of usually figure things out. And it was just a question, you know, on the top hat situation that a customer had, and he wanted to hear from somebody other than us. So we called our rep. We talked. They talked on the phone for literally 45 seconds. Super happy, bought a bow, and he was done. And having that ability, like you're saying, guys that are passionate, guys that know it in and out. Uh, like Chris said, they're testing. They're shooting every day. They know. They know everything that's going on in the archery world and in their bows and their setups. So yeah, and I mean, guys, that's where a lot of our ideas actually come from. I mean, like, the SCS system, it was one of those things where one of the guys was constantly going on these spot and stock hunts, and he's like, I am so sick of XYZ, you know, slings. They, no matter what, they're always in, super inconvenient, they're clunky, they're hard to get on and off. So they literally just went to the drawing board, and they're like, hey, this is real easy. There's two hoops that go over these two little knobs, and to get it on and off it's a matter of seconds i mean there's nothing obstructing so yeah you know, we're constantly looking at stuff and that's where you know a lot of those ideas stem from is i mean we're all for the most part here very passionate you know hunters there's a handful of us that you know are just target archers and that's that's okay i mean it's whatever each person's cup of tea is but you know at the end of the day we're you know eating breathing sleeping this stuff trying to figure out you know what we can do to to make things better and make the archery experience the best that it could possibly be for everybody. I love it. And I think, uh, I think this is a great podcast. If anybody has any questions, you can contact us here at archerycountry.com or stop in any of the three locations in Brainerd and Waite Park and right here in Rogers. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you. Chris, can't thank you enough, man. We appreciate it. If we Pleasure don't talk to you. you guys. All right. Thanks, Chris. And All right, uh, take care, bro. Behalf of everybody, Take Archery care, Country, we'll uh, see you on down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast.